0: Welcome to the GovLaunch podcast. GovLaunch is the wiki for local government innovation, and on this podcast, we're sharing the stories of local government innovators and their efforts to build smarter governments. I'm Lindsay Pica Alfano, co-founder of GovLaunch and your host. Today, I'm chatting with the chief data officer for the city of Patterson in New Jersey. Patterson, like many cities across the globe, is looking to improve equity and outcomes for those historically marginalized. They've partnered with Bloomberg cities on a variety of projects, ranging from license restoration to a guaranteed income pilot. So let's get into these and how your local government may be able to explore similar initiatives. Harsha, so glad to have you on the podcast today. Let's start by having you introduce yourself and a bit about your role.
1: Hi, Lindsay, my name is Harsha Mullah I'm the Chief Data Officer for the City of Patterson and I've been tasked to develop performance analytics programs for the eight departments here. I sit in the Office of Innovation and my co-collaborator is the Chief Innovation Officer.
0: Great. Well, I know you were previously at the City of Los Angeles, so quite the transition from Los Angeles to New Jersey. Tell us about your career prior to Patterson and what led you ultimately to the public sector.
1: Yes, as you mentioned correctly, I was a senior data scientist at the Mayor's Office of Budget and Innovation for the City of Los Angeles, working for Mayor Eric Garcetti. I had been there in that role for about a year. Prior to that, I have worked as a product data scientist or a product engineer at, at a few ed tech startups a mix of nonprofits and engineering companies. I have a dual master's in engineering and public policy and I went to grad school at UC Berkeley. So shout out to uh, UC Berkeley. When I was working solely as an engineer, I was also involved in a lot of projects that looked into uh, improving outcomes for our local communities in the Bay Area. At one point, I came to a realization that uh, what I wanted to do uh, for my living and then the causes that I was passionate about, uh, there had to be an intersection and public service was at a perfect intersection. And that led me to start working in public sector.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Let's have you give us a quick rundown of Patterson, its unique history as a city and how you've been really making moves these last few years to address some high-level initiatives in your community.
1: So, Barrison is the third largest city in New Jersey. It was founded by Alexander Hamilton, so it really has a unique history. Um, It was once an industrial center in the Northeast, but as industries moved outside of the United States, particularly manufacturing, the city in some sorts has been left behind. We are primarily a community of color, the demographics are around 60% Hispanic around 28 percent african-american and the city has some challenges the poverty level is twice that of the national average and only around 10 percent our residents have a college degree. We've been part of a cohort of cities that get a lot of technical training from Bloomberg Philanthropy. So we've been able to lean into this network and learn what other cities are doing in terms of providing economic opportunities for their residents. And we've been able to leapfrog and launch some high level initiatives around license restoration driver's license restoration, as well as providing a guaranteed income pilot uh, for our residents.
0: Yeah, I want to get into some of those in more detail since you have been involved in some pretty neat projects or pilots supported Mm -hmm. by Bloomberg. So let's talk about some of them. Let's have you introduce for us first the License Restoration Project. I think that one's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, thank you. So the License Restoration Program is a collaboration with the Mayor's Office, our Office of Law, and the Public Defender's Office. The aim of the program, quite simple, for residents who make uh, incomes below the poverty line. If their driver's license has been suspended and the reason for suspension is not related to driving related offenses, the city is gonna work with them and bring their case in front of the municipal court uh, to try and restore their license restoration. One additional cool thing about this project is that even when the municipal court decides to set aside Fees and fines. The individual still has to go back to the DMV and pay a license restoration fee of $120. So uh, we were able to raise some funding from our local philanthropy, the TAB Foundation, so that we are also able to restore our participants in the pilot uh, this $120 fee that is created by the DMV.
0: And so, what inspired this initiative? You talk about the economic hardship that Patterson faces generally. Talk about more of the overarching issue that you're trying to solve for and how this um, how this project has a trickle-down effect in terms of you know, your economic well-being as a city.
1: Yeah, so like you've touched upon a lot of points, but the overarching problem is to Uh, provide economic opportunity for for our residents. And there is research that shows that if you do not have a valid driver's license, the number of economic opportunities that are open to you are limited. Like around 60% of jobs in the United States will state that they would require a valid driver's license. In 2019, uh, Brown University did a study looking into driver's license suspensions, particularly for the state of New Jersey. And the study found out that in that one year, 91% of licenses that were suspended were due to non-driving related offenses. The study also uh, pointed out that people who live in low-income communities might have their licenses suspended twice, and Black and Hispanic communities are... See their licenses suspended about five times compared to communities that have a higher proportion of uh, Caucasians. Mm-hmm. So all of these exacerbate uh, the conditions in Patterson because it is a low income community as well as primarily a community of color. Um, so these were some of the reasons why we thought this would be a really good program to provide economic opportunity relief uh, for our residents we participated in a 12-week sprint that was led by Bloomberg Philanthropies, uh, Raleigh, Durham. Uh, they were one of the first cities to launch a driver's license restoration program, so we've learned from them about how to set up partnerships with the public defender's office, how do we structure the program that addresses the inequities that like we've talked about.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other details you'd provide for local governments curious to launch a program like this? I know Bloomberg really helped shepherd you all mm-hmm. through this, and you have some other cities to look toward. What were some lessons learned from other cities or from your own implementation of this? Really advice that other governments could use if they wanted to launch a program like this of their own?
1: The specifics of the program vary from one state to another, uh, and only certain kinds of uh, suspensions uh, are eligible within each of the states. Uh, so our priority was uh, restoring licenses uh, where uh, folks' licenses were suspended because they were not able to pay fees and fines. Uh, For example, uh, you get a parking ticket and then you're not able to like pay the fine associated with the parking ticket and then you start accruing additional fees because uh, you did not pay your parking ticket in the first place. So uh, we were primarily concentrating on Inability to pay fees and fines. I think that would be a good starting point for any city wanting to do this kind of work, Uh, tying it to uh, some kind of an income limit for participants is also critical so that uh, the program helps those who need this the most. And then uh, getting buy-in from your public defender's office, um, getting buy-in from uh, your municipal court, as well as your chief legal counsel are like really critical. And getting the word out uh, to the program and measuring some outcomes. We designed it as a randomized control trial. So we have participants who are our treatment. We have a control group and Uh, We are tracking metrics around their uh, employment status, uh, the current wages uh, that they are getting, and then we will, and as well as their uh, sense of belonging, belonging in the community, because I think uh, having access to a car would help address the issue of social isolation. So we've collected baseline data and once licenses are restored, we will collect follow up data because we want to see uh, how successful this program is uh, in addressing these root causes.
0: Yeah, really interesting. I want to also talk quickly about your guaranteed income pilot. Mm-hmm. We've also seen a few cities experimenting with guaranteed income programs. I want you to explain for us how this is set up in Patterson and what metrics you have in place to track its success.
1: So, the guaranteed income program is similar to a universal basic income program, but uh, the universal basic income is universal in nature that anyone regardless of their income level would be able to participate in a pilot but for the guaranteed income program it's tied to uh an income level so that uh, those who need the program most are more eligible to participate in the program this also came about by us participating in an eight-week sprint uh, led by bloomberg philanthropies and the Mayor's office in Stockton. Like Stockton became the first city in the United States to lead a, a mayor's office-led guaranteed income program. Uh, for our program, we were able to raise around six hundred thousand dollars. We were able to then uh, set up a program where hundred and ten participants are uh, drawn through a lottery-based system would get four hundred dollars a month for twelve months. Our applications went live in April of this year, and uh, the first payments went out in July. We are partnering with the University of Pennsylvania to set up a randomized control trial. Even though we had only 110 spots available, based on the funding we were able to raise, we had more than 5,000 applications come in. So the research team at the University of Pennsylvania were able to randomly select 110 folks into the treatment group and around 150 folks in the control group. Uh, They've already collected uh, baseline metrics, again, around employment status, income volatility, housing situation, metrics around like emotional well-being and financial security and financial literacy. These are the metrics that we are really interested in monitoring. We are just uh, getting ready to collect the six-month follow-up data from the baseline in the control group. A guaranteed income program is successful in reducing unemployment rates for the city Uh, and if we see innovation in terms of more entrepreneurs setting up small businesses in our community we would want to uh, lobby for a state level guaranteed income program or a state level guaranteed income pilot
0: and one other interesting thing uh, you had mentioned when we talked previously was that you're issuing debit cards to these people. So obviously also able to track what they're spending their $400 a month on. Uh, let's get into the thorny issue of data privacy for a second. I assume you know they're signing up for this pilot. They know that you're going to have access to all this data. Have you received any pushback from your participants about the level of information you're collecting and analyzing on their spending habits, for instance, with this money?
1: so uh that's a really good question around data privacy uh first of all like all this tracking that happens around spending happens at an aggregate level and not at an individual level and uh like when we were onboarding our participants uh participants had an option to opt in so that we can start tracking these metrics so uh only participants who gave us the go ahead to opt in, uh, we are collecting these metrics, but uh, participants also understand that this is a pilot program and like monitoring these metrics can uh, help advocate for better policies at the state and federal level. And we had more than 95% of our participants uh, opting in and saying that it's okay to track how they spend uh, the money on their debit cards at an aggregate level.
0: Oh, okay. So you had the option for them to opt out of tracking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so some really cool pilots you all are working on. We'll be interested to follow up in a few months to see when you've got some of this data coming in. I want to transition, if, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, to just more general advice. You know, you're a chief data officer. We have quite a few chief data officers that we've spoken with on the podcast. But as a former data scientist, obviously you're still a data scientist. Mm-hmm. But the Office of Innovation was established in Patterson in 2019. What changes have you been part of specifically around data in the city?
1: So I think um, coming from a city such as Los Angeles, uh, one thing that was clearly evident working in a smaller city in New Jersey was that uh, the city did not have like a lot of data analysts or uh, even analysts uh, working in departments. So uh, some of the initial changes uh, that we were able to uh, uh, set up in Patterson uh included doing a full inventory of the data sets that the city owns uh trying to understand like the quality of the data that is being collected uh trying to understand uh what are some of the skill sets and what are some of the gaps and providing staff training staff training started happening in january of 2020 and our initial few months were just around uh like how do effectively use excel like how to enter data into excel like how can you automate the process of data capture using google forms and google sheets how do you make sure that the data fields are consistent across the rows uh, that you collect the data and then um, uh, once our staff and various departments felt they were comfortable with the Excel component of it, uh, we moved on to using Power BI and building like basic analytics around uh, bar charts, p- uh, pie diagrams, like just uh, seeing how uh, this department was making progress against some of uh, the KPIs uh, that were set by the directors of the department.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we talk about data-driven decision-making mm-hmm. um, and that's important for every local government, but also accountability and holding and making sure that fellow employees are holding up their end of the bargain, right? You're all public servants or what are you doing to serve serve the public? So these KPIs are really important and something that you can't necessarily track if you don't have the data. So mm-hmm. can you break down for us some specific KPIs you have for a department or two? Just give us an example of what that
1: would look like. Yeah, so I'll give you a really good example about uh, transparency to the community. So in November of 2019, we launched a 311 app called C Click Fix. You might be familiar with this app, like a lot of municipalities are now moving away from like a call center towards an app where residents can like select a category and send us a complaint. Complaints could involve noise, Around like potholes on the streets, uh, so we get a variety of things through the 311 app. Uh, one thing uh, that was like really important for uh, Mayor Say's administration is responsiveness. So we had the first step in this workflow was to acknowledge uh, that uh, the complaint was received and that. Uh, the person or the staff in a department who is in charge of looking at this complaint, acknowledges the complaint, resolves it, and then closes it within uh, a SLA period, uh, which is a standard labor agreement period. So uh, because we were using this 311 app, all of the data was available electronically, and I created a public-facing dashboard that tracks the number of complaints that we get. Uh, It breaks it down by the categories of complaints that we get. It tells you how good the city is doing in responding to these complaints at an aggregate level. We also then break it down at a department level. Our KPI is to acknowledge the complaint within one business day. Initially, when the app went live, we were not meeting this target. uh, now every week, all of the department staff handling the app will meet uh, with the mayor's chief of staff and I, and we will go through this dashboard and we'll understand when someone's not able to meet the KPIs, like what's going on. For example, sometimes they might just forget to acknowledge a complaint within the workflow, even though they resolve it and close it. And we have to reiterate that acknowledging, which is the first part of the workflow is really important because then uh, the resident who's turned in the complaint has an idea that someone's looked into their complaint.
0: Yeah. Interesting. The app would let you resolve it without following prior steps in the workflow. So yeah. maybe that's a technology enhancement issue. That's back to see click fix over there. I know, yeah. So working for a large city like LA and now a smaller city, you have a really unique perspective. Would you say there are different challenges to using data just based off government size?
1: So, I mean, I touched upon this just a, a little bit, but I think in LA, uh, uh, the systems that are put in place are are more advanced than uh, the systems that the city of Patterson has uh, coming from private sector when I first started working in LA uh, I was a little bit shocked that the systems there were still not up to industry standard but LA has an analyst class coming to a smaller city such as Patterson I think training is really essential uh, to be able to use spreadsheets and then understand the importance of analyzing the data because the city council will ask various departments on certain metrics so it's really important that a staff has the skill set so that they can have a story to tell to the public or have a story to tell to the city council one thing a smaller size city has an advantage over A bigger city is that things move pretty quickly or efficiently in a smaller size city compared to a city such as LA, where bureaucracy can slow things down.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Much more nimble when you've got a smaller team to work with. Yeah. Even if even if you don't have a crew of data scientists, you can still make some quick progress. So that's great advice.
1: Yeah, and in a smaller city like your work also gets a lot of visibility. Uh, Here, like. We have people who are at an analyst level, and then they get the opportunity to sit with the mayor of Patterson and like present their ideas and present uh, the projects that they are working on in a big city such as LA. It's very difficult for someone, even with my skill set as senior data se- senior data scientist, to get audience to the mayor. So mm-hmm. that is another advantage uh, working in a smaller size city.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, as chief data officer for Patterson, what would you say is the single most important trend in local government, or one you hope to see more of?
1: So, I think especially during the pandemic, we as a city have been pretty nimble in responding to needs of the community, especially the needs of our nonprofit community and older adults. Uh, we see a digital divide, so uh, we were able to quickly set up uh, services the city. I would never have thought setting up such services using SaaS or software as a service. Um, I, as part of the innovation team, set up a grocery delivery service coordinating with volunteers, uh, like a couple of grocery stores and older adults in our community who were living by themselves. I think prior to the pandemic, uh, the city would never be in a grocery delivery business. So uh, this is just one example of how local governments have been really nimble using open source tools, uh, software as service tools, tools that are inexpensive and would not add to their budgets or uh, wouldn't have to go through a pretty strenuous uh, procurement process. So that is one thing that I've seen cities take up as a challenge and be Pretty nimble during the pandemic. And I think uh, once employees start using these open source tools and software as solution tools, they will be more open to uh, using these tools in the future as well.
0: It's been really impressive to see what local governments, large and small, have been able Mm -hmm. to do in, in a very short period of time. It's forced everyone to get on the same page when it comes to digital, tools mm-hmm. and the need for digital transformation. Even the most resistant communities have chosen to embrace tech uh, just out of necessity. And I think that's really going to benefit all of these communities long term.
1: Of co- Definitely. And I think most local governments still do not see themselves as digital first but i think the pandemic has forced cities and mayoral offices to start thinking that their organizations should be digital first or should have at least an equally robust digital footing Uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, and that's going to improve outcomes for everyone in the long run Mm
0: -hmm. well looking back on your time in local government I'd be curious to know, what's something that you now know that you wish you knew from the start of your career in local government? Something that perhaps you'd improve upon if you could do it all over again?
1: For me, I think like something that I wish I had known before I went into local government is just uh, like that local governments uh, are big bureaucracies and you need to start understanding like power structures within local government uh, because buy-in is very critical uh, especially when you're working in the public sector and buy-in from those who are at a director level uh, is, re- is really required if you want to think about culture change. So that is something that I've learned over time, and I wish I spent more time understanding what motivates those at the top level, because it is still a very top-down culture in public sector.
0: We talk about stakeholder buy-in a lot. In fact, we've got a an article, six tips on how to get stakeholder buy-in. The irony is that data is what really can draw them to the other side you know convince them that this initiative or project that you've got in mind is really going to be worth it so really understanding the full scope how it's going to impact the community and being able to show some data that supports why this is mm-hmm. this vision should be worked on so that's interesting that you you bring that up yeah.
1: Both data and, like, if you can make a strong case uh, that you are, whatever you're proposing is going to improve process efficiency, uh, that is something that, like, a lot of directors have uh, interest in improving so that, like, a lot of their staff are not doing repeated manual tasks. So, mm-hmm. data and automation are, like, really good tools or skill sets to have uh, that you can uh, use to. Start advocating for projects that can improve process efficiencies and that can make uh, departments in the public sector more nimble.
0: Well, we want to make sure our listeners have some really clear, tangible advice mm-hmm. that they could take away from from each episode. So, what's some advice you'd share that would resonate with any size local government?
1: I think the advice that I would share is that, uh, like, folks who work in local government. Choose to work in local government because they are change makers. They are really passionate about social impact. My suggestion is that just don't wait for someone else to take the initiative. Take the initiative, have a smart plan that you can follow through because there is a reason why you're working in the public sector.
0: Well, that's great advice. I want to thank you so much for joining me, Harsha. On behalf of the team in Patterson, New Jersey, And we're really looking forward to continuing to track your progress in data leadership and innovation, especially with these Bloomberg pilots. So keep up the good work.
1: Thanks, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to staying in touch.
0: I'm Lindsay Pica Alfano, and this podcast was produced by GovLaunch, the wiki for local government innovation. You can subscribe to hear more stories like this, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a local government innovator, we hope you'll help us on our mission to build the largest free resource for local governments globally. You can join to search and contribute to the wiki at govlaunch.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you next time on the GovLaunch podcast.